Life's too short. Life's too damn short. So, eat everything. Try anything. Exercise. Experience all that life has to offer. Here's exercise physiologist, medical journalist, and healthy talk host, Melanie Cole, MS. As menopause officially marks the end of female reproduction, for some women, it's a time of change. They're happy about it. No more periods, which are a pain in the ass. They don't have to worry about getting pregnant anymore. There are a lot of positives, and for some women, me in particular, who look at it as though now I can't get pregnant even if I wanted to, and now I'm at risk for all kinds of diseases I was not at risk for before, I don't necessarily see it as a positive thing, but how you look at it is not really the case. What's happening in your body is what we're talking about today and what you can do about some of those symptoms. And my guest is certainly a fan favorite here on Life's Too Short, Dr. Mary Jane Minkin. She's a clinical professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Reproductive Sciences at the Yale University School of Medicine. And we we call her Madam Ovary because that is her website. So Madam Ovary, Dr. Minkin, let's talk about menopause, perimenopause to start. What is it? When does it happen? And how do we know? Uh, Melanie, always lovely to be with you. And thank you so much for asking me to visit and talk about the most important topic in the universe, of course. I know this. And you know this, too. I do. So anyway, yeah, of course, of course. So the key thing is menopause is really easy to define, okay? It's basically one year of no periods, okay? I mean, unrelated to other things, other diseases or entities or something like that. So basically, and the average age of menopause in the United States is between 51 and 52. To about 51 and a half is the average. Now, that doesn't mean it can't happen earlier or later. Uh, basically, about 1% of women are fully menopausal by age 40. About 5% are fully menopausal by age 45, with the rest of us coming in later there. And very few ladies go longer than about 59 to 60. Most everybody's done by then. But it can happen anytime before then. And the key thing is that with menopause, people used to have this idea that you went to bed one day, you know, premenopausal, and you woke up the next day postmenopausal. Well, it doesn't happen like that. And you've already alluded to the, 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 the term perimenopause, which are those times leading up to that final menstrual period and the year beyond that. And it's really hard to define it is the problem. Um, people classically will say the symptoms can go on ballpark three years. Some people say even many more years than that before that final menstrual period. And what happens is our hormones are getting very funky at that point. That our ovaries, and especially based on ovarian function, menopause represents the pooping out of the ovaries, pure and simple. And they don't poop out in a linear fashion. Some days they work hard. Some days they're not working at all. Some days after they haven't worked at all, they'll work super hard the next day, so you'll get a surge of estrogen. So all these things can happen during the perimenopause, which can really wreak havoc on women. We can get funky periods. We can get heavy bleeding. We can get lighter bleeding. We get irregular periods. And then all of the symptoms that we can chat about at length, and we'll do so, that happen in menopause, things like hot flashes, vaginal dryness, all those fabulous things, um, can start happening in the perimenopausal transition. So it's important for women to know that. And the other problem about perimenopause, which is really, I think, what makes it trickiest, is it doesn't come out and say, you know, knock, knock, I'm here. 
And it's something that, you know, people, you know, will have symptoms and they may say, well, is it my hormones? Is it not my hormones? And healthcare providers, physicians, you know, other healthcare providers may not have the absolute answer for you either. Is this perimenopause or isn't? So it's sometimes tricky to figure out. I think it is. And, and I'm one of those people because I went like seven months, Dr. Minkin, and, and then I had really heavy periods that didn't stop for like mm-hmm. three or four weeks. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. now I start getting nervous about cancer, as I'm sure other women would. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. you look up your mm-hmm. symptoms and oh my God, it's like ovarian cancer and this and that. So I went mm-hmm. through a battery of tests to see why I was bleeding sure. for like four weeks. You know, and of course, sure. it, there was nothing there, and 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 any right. little cysts or whatever I had were not the cause of it. And then it stopped, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and now it's been mm-hmm. another, you know, five months. So it is so mm-hmm. confusing. So can I put a little spin on that one? And again, of course, I'll plug my fabulous website, madamovery.com, because I hope we have some answers for folks on there as far as why are these crazy things happening. What I think was happening to you, which happens to many, many folks, is we're just not ovulating well. We may not ovulate at all for a number of months. But the problem is our ovaries still haven't shut down completely. So we're still making some estrogen. Estrogen causes the growth of the lining of the uterus. Okay, so we're building up and building up. Okay, when we ovulate, we make progesterone, but we don't make progesterone unless we ovulate. So if we're having estrogen and not ovulating, you're just building up a thicker and thicker lining of the uterus. So what happens, either the lining of the uterus builds up to a certain extent and says, that's it, we're we're popping there, we're coming out, we're plots in there, we'll come right out. Or you might have ovulated, but the issue is you've built up such a thick lining of the uterus, you get lots of bleeding for a while. So indeed, one of the things that people can do if women are plagued by this, speak to your healthcare provider. And again, the thing, the thing that I'm going to be coming back to is I hope you have a good healthcare provider that you can chat with to get these things taken care of and feel confident so in chatting with her or with him. Very important. And for, for example, if somebody takes some progesterone for like 10 days, the body will think, oh my goodness, we've ovulated. You know, okay, we stopped taking the progesterone. The body will say, oh, we've ovulated. We're not pregnant. We're going to clean out the lining of the uterus. So the progesterone and acts like a vacuum cleaner and cleans things out and will give you a much more regulated bleed. So if I have somebody who goes months without a period in this transition phase, I will oftentimes give her a dose of progesterone to take every few months to sort of clean things out so she doesn't get into these binds of these really heavy bleeds after seven months, something like that. And that's exactly that what I helpful. did. I, I went on progesterone and it stopped mm-hmm. the bleeding, the heavy bleeding. Yep. And then when mm-hmm. it came back is when we started the test. So now along mm-hmm. the lines. So symptoms that women start to notice, we're talking about all the heavy bleeding. And of course, bloating is just something women have had to deal with for thousands of years. So we know that Absolutely. that's a normal part of everything. But then mm-hmm. there's all these other things that you start to notice, like you said, vaginal dryness and night sweats. I'm lucky I don't really get hot hot flashes or any Uh of those uh things. I do get pretty warm in the night, though, and kick off all the Uh blankets. uh So Uh uh these symptoms, do we live with them if they are dealable? Or do you, I mean, what are you supposed to do about them? 
Well, I think it's important to be comfortable, you know, okay? And I think it's really important for the woman, again, to work with her, you know, herself or her healthcare provider as far as deciding, at what point am I thinking about intervention? And I think for a lot of people, they're not into the thought of medications or any, even herbal preps or anything like that. They'd rather just put up with things. And that's okay if that's what you want to do. Many people are pretty uncomfortable. And we have a whole array of things to offer folks. You know, as far, I mean, for example, just learning how to do layered clothing. Wear a shell under a sweater, okay? So if it's hot, just slip off your your sweater, but you're still decent. You got a shell under there. So simple tricks like that can be very helpful. As far as the night sweats and hot flashes, there are some herbal products that may well offer some help. Um, There's a German product that I like a lot. It's available here. I mean, you can get it at Walmart, CVS, whatever online, uh, called Remy Femin, R-E-M-I-F-E-M-I-N. It's a black cohosh product. It's nicely regulated over in Germany. And it does seem to help. It is not hormonal um, and uh, is, is widely used in Germany and it's very helpful for hot flashes for a lot of women. There's another product out there called Relizen, R-E-L-I-Z-E-N, which is from Sweden. It's a pollen extract. Uh, you can get that online. Um, and these products are you know, reasonably helpful for hot flashes. So if you say, gee, I really am not into medications, but if I can find something that's you know over-the-counter herbal product, they can be very helpful for you. If you say, gee, I, I'm, this doesn't work for me or whatever, I need something in the next level up. Hormonal medication is really quite safe and, you know, prescribed by somebody who knows what they're doing. They'll get you very, very comfortable very quickly with very safe medications. And we also have non-hormonal medications as well. Believe it or not, something like an SSRI antidepressant can actually help you for high flashes, believe it or not. So we do have non-hormonal medications if the, you know, over-the-counter stuff doesn't work. So that's sort of one level. As far as the vaginal dryness, which I'm really really glad you mentioned because it's so common and women oftentimes don't even think about vaginal dryness. They think about hot flashes being associated with menopause, but the vaginal dryness, not so much. And indeed, although some women do get the vaginal dryness perimenopausally, um, that after, it tends to happen to many women postmenopausally, and that's part of the reason they don't think about it because they've been fine, you know, they're two, three years without a period. Oops, they start getting vaginal dryness. This isn't so great, but they don't associate with menopause. So indeed, it is associated with menopause, and the good news is there are a lot of interventions we have for folks. I mean, again, if you want to do something over-the-counter, okay, go to your Walmart, CVS, whatever. Um, There's a product called Replens, R-E-P-L-E-N-S, which is over-the-counter. It's a non-hormonal gel for the vagina, which is a long-acting moisturizer, okay, and you pop it in the vagina two, three times a week, and your vagina is much more comfortable. So that's something really easy to, you know, straightforward, no contraindications, you know, something easy to do. If that works, fabulous. If it doesn't, we have, again, a lot of medications out there that are quite effective um, for vaginal dryness. And again, don't hesitate to talk to your provider. Um, You know, there are a lot of preparations that we have for you. So, Dr. Minkin, before we talk about hormone replacement and and those, because women have a lot of questions about it and and the increased risk of any other things from it, but before we talk about Mm -hmm. that... Some other things that come along with this, and how do you know when you're in menopause, when you're done? But other things that come along, Dr. Minkin, are anxiety. And to me, one of the most important things I've noticed, my heart rate has gone up, my blood pressure Mm -hmm. in just the last one year has changed from like 110 over 60, and now I'm like 125 Mm -hmm. on the hypertension levels, 
and my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Of course, a lot of that's political and what's going on in the country today. But <laughs> We understand that, yes. And so I've been chalking up a lot of my anxiety, mm-hmm. my, my feeling that something's just not right, depression, mm-hmm. irritability. My mm-hmm. engineers know mm-hmm. I've been irritable. My husband, God, he's running for the door. But these things can also be a part of menopause. And sure. how do we know that that they are not something more serious or because of what's going on in the country or that they are actually mm-hmm. something because of our hormones? It's an excellent question, Melanie. And the answer is it's sometimes very hard to figure it out. And this is something that I try to, you know, teach my medical students and my residents. You know, how do you help the patient figure out? Because we may not be the people figuring out. We may be just helping our patients figure it out. Um, but there are so many changes that women are going through in our lives at this point. Um, you don't want to give a, a talk to a lay audience. I always say, for example, you know, our kids are leaving home or sometimes even worse, they're coming back. You know, <laughs> this yeah. can be a stressor. Uh, we're dealing with work issues as we get older. We're dealing with aging parents and aging in-laws. Our partners may be having issues at work and things like that. So there are a whole host of things that can be going on in a woman's life at this point on top of the hormonal situation, and we're all getting older. Now, one thing that I think is quite reasonable, and do we see anxiety and depression and mood change, and certainly loss of sleep, and that's the other thing that's out there. Many, many women, most women probably, experience sleep changes, sleep deprivation as they go through menopause. And of course, when you're sleep-deprived, you're not going to feel fabulous the next day. You may well feel anxious. You may well feel depressed. And it might be if you had a decent night's sleep, you might feel a heck of a lot better. So indeed, all of these things are going on. Now, that does sort of segue us over to the topic of hormonal intervention, because the most effective therapy for menopausal symptomatology in general is hormonal therapy. Um, And we have many, many very safe hormonal medications, okay, which estrogen and estrogen derivatives, which really work very nicely for women. And most women are indeed able to take them. And one of the other things that folks, you know, again, that gets into immediately the question of, oh, my goodness, but we've read all these things are dangerous and stuff like that. Well, one of the first things that women need to hear is there was a study that came out in 2002 called the Women's Health Initiative that really got people terrified, just totally terrified about estrogen and breast cancer. Okay. And much of the information in the WHI has subsequently been debunked. There's a lot of information that's come out basically qualifying a lot of the statements that were made attendant with the release of the WHI. And for example, we had a very nice study released last year, the 18-year follow-up of the Women's Health Initiative. And indeed, what did that show? Really no increased mortality, anything related to hormone therapy at all. And if anything, benefits on a couple of scores. So, I mean, I think that's reassuring for a lot of women. Another thing for women to consider is that when even when the WHI came out, the concern about breast cancer, first of all, it was only seen after a number of years and in women who had a uterus who were not only taking estrogen but had to take a form of progesterone with the estrogen to protect the lining of the uterus. Okay. And we go over all of this on Madam Overy. So if you want to learn more about this, folks, go to MadamOvery.com. It's all there. Read about it. Listen, watch my videos. Very exciting. So anyway, but the key thing is that Not nearly as exciting as your podcasts. Just saying. Okay, go on. You were fabulous. Of course, of course. But anyway, but the WHI data showed that only in women who were taking estrogen and progestin for a number of years had a very, very slight increased risk of breast cancer. 
very slight, you know, okay. And there are ways we can get around it because there are other preparations. One thing that we figured out is that not all estrogen and certainly not all progesterones are created equal. So we have certain ones that are more favorable than others. And we can do that. We got them. We have that knowledge now. We have this, we can get you a, a very, very safe combination. But the other thing that almost nobody realizes is if you've had a hysterectomy, and that's a lot of women, a lot of women out there have had hysterectomies. If you've had a hysterectomy, you don't need any progesterone with your estrogen because there's no lining of a uterus to stimulate. There's no uterus. So the key thing is for women who've had a hysterectomy, they just need to take estrogen alone. And even in the WHI study and in many, many, many others, any of the studies on estrogen alone really show no significant increased risk of breast cancer. As a matter of fact, the WHI actually showed a slight decreased risk of breast cancer in women who used estrogen alone, not an increase. Mm. So I think the key thing to remember is, and most people don't know that. They're like, huh, what when I tell them that? And I, I pull out the papers and I show them. So anyway, but yeah, not statistically significant, but a decreased risk in breast cancer in women taking only estrogen. And that's even in the WHI study. So if you, for example, let's say we have a listener out there who had her uterus taken out, you know, a few years ago, and her ovaries were left, you know, okay, but now she's 50 years old and her ovaries are beginning to poop out a bit and she's getting these sweats and anxieties and stuff like that. Well, she's a fabulous candidate for most people to take just some estrogen. You know, okay, and it probably will work. So I think the key thing is one of these ways is we started talking about how do you discriminate between is this menopause or is there something else going on in my life and stuff like that. I'm a very simple-minded person. I say, hey, if there's no reason not to take estrogen, why not try it for a bit and see how you feel? You know, okay. And for many of my patients, you know, many women out there in the world, they will feel a heck of a lot better. Their mood will be better. Their their anxiety will be better. Their sleep will be better, which are all pretty good things, I think. And their vaginas will be better. And that's wonderful. We and want that is wonderful. To be perfect. And, and actually, that was w- what we did with the progesterone. She's like, try it, see if it works. If it doesn't, then we can mm-hmm. look at other things. And so to say estrogen alone, try it, and if it works and helps with some of these things, then you know that that was the situation. You know, certainly mm-hmm. with things like blood pressure, that feeling of anxiousness, the heart rate. And sure. Some things, sure. though, we have to double down, right, Dr. Minkin? Because like our cholesterol levels are going to rise just because we're in menopause. You know, certain things is that that we have a higher risk of some diseases. That we can't help. Absolutely. But we have to double well, we down can. then on we our can. exercise or our healthy exactly. living things. Exactly, exactly. And we want to emphasize, yeah, we don't want just a, a pharmacological, a drug approach. We want healthy living. We want good nutrition. We want exercise. I encourage everybody to exercise because the two things that really, as you pointed out, show up more around the time of menopause with our loss of estrogen is an increased risk of heart disease and an increased risk of bone loss, osteoporosis. Sure. And you know well, you know, from all of your background that indeed nutrition and exercise are key in both of those. It is. So wrap it up for us. What you want us to know is your best advice about all these symptoms we're experiencing, the changes that are taking place in our bodies, and how we know this is it. You're done. You're not getting another period. You do not have to carry tampons around with you anymore because of just in case, you know, and now they're for your children, your daughters, whatever. Just kind of wrap it up with your best advice as the one and only Madam Overy. 
thanks, Melody, thanks. So first of all, as far as putting away the tampons, when you go that magic one year without a period, then I can say it's okay to put away the tampons. Unfortunately, till we've gotten that year, I can't say to you it isn't coming back because even eight or nine months, oops, a period can show up, and unfortunately, that resets that clock. So wait, I want to stop you for a second. We can put away the tampons, but we have to start carrying around the Depends? No. I'm sorry. There are things that we can do. Yeah, we'll talk about that on another podcast. (laughs) Exactly. Kegel, Kegel, Kegel. Yeah, exactly. They're all good, too. And vaginal estrogens and other products can help there, too. So don't don't give up. Don't give up. Those are good things. We can do this. Uh, So anyway, um, so that's that. Um, And as far as, you know, and I think that really you want to be in contact with a, you know, a provider that you can be comfortable with in talking about these issues. Decide what level of comfort or discomfort you're okay with, you know. And and it's also, you know, and we have a lot of safe alternatives. I mean, it's not like we have one size fits all. There are many, many options we have for all these symptoms, you know, that can be happening. And that we can make quality of life better. And the other thing, just to put in as a side note to get back to the bones and the heart, that actually estrogen is probably the most preventive, best effective preventative measure for um, bone loss in addition to the exercise and nutrition, the calcium and the vitamin D. So that estrogen can help prevent bone loss too. And also estrogen will help keep your HDL and LDL and triglycerides in good shape. I mean, we don't want to just do that. We want to do our nutrition and exercise. But estrogen may play a good role on that as well. So keep that in mind. It's great information and important for all of us going through this to hear. So ladies, and even their partners that love them, that are also concerned about some of these symptoms and the anxiety and and the hormone changes and all of these things that are happening to someone you love or yourself. There are answers out there. There are ways to be comfortable. There are ways to be sure. And there are things that you can try, as Dr. Minkin has told us, that, that you can try that will really make it so that you understand what's going on. Share this show with your girlfriends. Share them with your friends that are going through the same thing because that's how we're all learning together and you can learn more about Dr. Mary Jane Minkin at MadamOvery.com. It's her website. We love the name. We love having her on. So thank you again, my dear, for coming on and clearing up so many of these things. You're listening to Life's Too Short and you know, so am I and shrinking. So by the next time you talk to me, I might be, what, four foot eight? Who knows? I'll need a car seat. But in any case, you can listen to these shows on RadioMD.com, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeart, iTunes, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are played. So share the show, spread it around. Thanks for listening and stay well.